Good morning. I recognize that cry. But as they make their way to the back, I too would like to welcome you here this morning. I'd like to welcome the guests who are here with us, uh, as well as some familiar faces. It is great to see Kevin Reimer is here with us this morning. Welcome here, Kevin. It's great to see you. Uh, back here home in Killarney, and uh, we're also excited for you. I'm not sure this if this is this might only have been news to me this morning, but I also just wanted to congratulate that he and Renee are expecting their first child. When, Kevin? February 19th. February 19th. So congratulations to you on that. That's exciting. Yes, you can clap. I was I was thrilled to hear that news. So congratulations to you. Is the second Sunday in Advent, and we have both candles lit here. And as we reflect on the light of the world coming into the darkness, coming and dispelling our sin, coming to defeat death, and as we consider that, we also remember that He is to come again. And that is where I want to turn your hearts this morning from God's Word. So, would you bow with me and let's pray? Lord Jesus, We thank you again that you came into this world many years ago. You came in humility. You came clothed in human flesh. You hid your glory. And in doing so, Lord, you did not just come to rule, but you came to serve. And you came to be a sacrifice. And so, Lord, as we are humbled and awed again that you would come in such a way to come and to serve and to save those who are lost. We simply want to thank you. And we pray, God, that this season of Christmas, we would again have our hearts stirred to gratitude as we reflect in awe and wonder of what you've done for us. But now, Lord Jesus, we also this morning want to reflect upon the reality that you are coming again. You are the soon-incoming King. And that the next time you appear to us, you will not be clothed in humility. Your glory will not be hidden away, but it will be on full display. Every eye shall see you. Every knee shall bow before you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, as we consider that great and fearful day of the Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts on what this means for each of us, Lord. Uh, each of our attitudes, each of our hearts as we live each day of our lives that you give us. So I ask God that you would bless this word. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. Would you help me? Father, may the words be yours, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Begin this morning by sharing with you a story that is told of a young couple that had made plans to go out on their very first date. Now, they had made arrangements that the young man would come pick up the girl the very next evening at 6 o'clock. So when the time came for the arranged date to take place, there she was, all ready to go, waiting by the door. Excited and a little bit nervous, she was dressed up nicely and just counting the seconds of anticipation of when he would arrive. And there she was, 6 o'clock, rolled around, and then it went without his arrival. At 6.30, she began to wonder if perhaps she'd been stood up. And by the time 7 o'clock rolled around without so much as a phone call, she just knew it was true. 
first angry and then dejected and then angry again and then dejected some more. She, she finally just gave up waiting for him. She washed off her makeup, changed into her flannel pajamas, went to the freezer, grabbed a big pail of ice cream, forgot about the bowl, grabbed a big spoon, went and plunked herself down on the couch and started to watch TV. Well, at 8 o'clock, her favorite TV show was about to come on when the doorbell rings. Opening the door, who else would it be but her date? A full two hours late, standing on the front step with a bouquet of flowers. Catching sight of her, however, in her flannel pajamas, makeup washed off, and a pail of ice cream under her arm, his eyes widened in disbelief, and he blurted out, I'm two hours late, and you're still not ready? (laughs) Now, just to be clear... Guys, this is not an approach I recommend. That is, unless you want to have a door slammed in your face. I'm pretty sure that's what happened next. But this story helps illustrate for us the key principle from our scripture this morning. Be ready. I want you to remember those two little words this morning as we proceed through this sermon and as we look at the text. Be ready. It is the key phrase for us to remember And the question that I want you to ponder as we go through this text this morning is this question I want you to ask yourselves. Am I ready? Am I ready? Now you may well ask, ready for what? And I'll let you think about that for a moment and we'll return to it a little bit later. Now as we've already acknowledged this morning, we've entered the season of Advent, which is a time of preparation, primarily, as we look forward to the coming and celebration of Jesus entering this world as a little baby. And so we, in this time of preparations, prepare all sorts of things, right? We prepare our wish lists, our gift lists, we arrange our family gatherings, and then we go out and we go shopping, right? We try to buy just the right thing for for that person that they're going to open it up and say, wow, it's just what I was hoping for. And they don't have to fake it either, right? That's, that's our goal when we're going out buying gifts. We don't want people to have to put on that fake surprise of, oh, you shouldn't have. Really? Uh, right? We, we buy with the hope that what we're giving is going to be received in the, that gracious and excited spirit with which it's given. And so we prepare for these things. And now as we look ahead to Christmas, I want to ask you a very simple question in regards to Christmas. Are you ready for Christmas? Have you bought every last gift on your list? Anyone? Who, who here would be so bold to say that you are prepared for Christmas right down to the last detail? Anyone? Hands up. There's one. Congratulations, sir. You're ahead of me. <laughs> We've got one out of the whole group who's ready for Christmas. But thankfully, thankfully, we have more time. It's only the second candle lit. There's not four candles lit. We have a little bit more time to prepare But now I want you to just for a moment consider an alternative scenario. Imagine that Christmas doesn't fall on December the 25th every year. But instead, Christmas happens on a randomly selected day. Each year there's a randomly selected day that will be drawn out at random. And here's the catch. It will only be announced the morning of Christmas. And so it might be March the 7th or November the 16th. 
But when Christmas Day is announced nationwide, it is immediately a national holiday and everyone is expected to exchange gifts and to get together as family and friends and celebrate. Picture if that's how Christmas occurred every year. What would that day look like? Just imagine the the hustle and the bustle. Imagine the outright mayhem that would occur. Imagine in your minds those those videos you've seen or perhaps been a part of the, the, uh, what do they call it, Black Friday madness when people are crashing the storefronts to try to save some money on some TVs or, or things like that. Imagine the crush that would happen at the shopping malls and, the, and the, the grocery stores as people are scrambling trying to prepare for Christmas, trying to go out and buy gifts for their loved ones with only a morning to prepare. Just imagine what would happen on a day like that. Now, what would be the only way that you could avoid all of the mayhem that would happen? What would be the only way that you could avoid the, the crush of the shopping mall or, or the supermarket, everyone scrambling to buy that Christmas turkey for dinner that night? How could you avoid all of that? What's the only way? The only way would be continual preparedness. The only way would be is if when Christmas Day has passed one year, you go out the next day and you buy everything. You get all your Christmas gifts, you put a a turkey in the freezer, and you're ready to go because you don't know when it's going to come. Continual preparation would be the only way to avoid the mayhem if that day was to come on us that randomly by surprise. Always ready. Now as we think of that, I want to just say right off the bat that I'm very thankful that Christmas does not happen that way. Aren't you? (laughs) It's crazy enough even when we have months to prepare in advance. And I still have lots of Christmas shopping to do. And I know the time is drawing closer. I'm thankful it doesn't work that way. But did you know that that is exactly the way the first Christmas happened? Do you know that? The first Christmas happened... By surprise. No one knew the day or the hour that it was going to happen. It came like a thief in the night. Very few people were anticipating it. Very few people were watching for that day. Because you see, people knew. The nation of Israel had for hundreds and even thousands of years known that a Messiah was going to come to them. Someone was going to be born who would be the Redeemer of Israel. And the legend, the story was passed along from one generation to the next. And God would send prophets to remind people that this Messiah was coming. And they would give specific tales, details about his birth and when this would take place and what the, the circumstances would be. But they would always be just vague enough that no one knew exactly when. And just imagine in the passing of time as hundreds of years go by from one prophecy to the next, people begin to forget. People forget, and and even if they haven't forgotten, begin to say, well, maybe he's not coming. It's been so long. Or maybe he's forgotten about it. Maybe it's never going to happen. And so, like the girl who grew tired of waiting for her date to arrive, most of Israel grew tired of waiting for the Messiah as well, thinking that perhaps they'd been stood up or simply forgotten about. And so they stopped living in a state of readiness, In a spiritual sense, they had washed off their makeup and had changed into their flannel pajamas. And so you see, when Jesus arrived, 
The ones who should have been eager and ready for him were no longer watching. They were no longer waiting. They were on the couch with a big pail of ice cream, just indulging in their own appetites, looking out for themselves. They weren't watching and prepared for the Savior of the world. And so imagine this, that when the Savior, the Redeemer of the world, arrives, his welcoming committee constitutes a bunch of smelly shepherds and a few pagan magis from a distant land. That was the welcoming committee for the Redeemer. Incredible, isn't it? What happens when people are forced to wait? We get tired of waiting, and we let down our guard. We are no longer prepared. Just like Israel, I want to ask you, are you prepared for the advent of the Lord? You see, Jesus' first coming took Israel by surprise, but so too will Jesus' second coming take this world by surprise. I want you to turn with me now to Matthew chapter 24. And let's look again at those verses that were read for us just a little bit earlier. Matthew chapter 24, and there we're going to read the words of Jesus as he speaks about his return in verses 36 to 39. Beginning in verse 36, read with me. Read along with me. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as it was in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, as we read this passage, I want you to notice that though only God the Father knows the exact hour of Jesus' arrival, signs and warnings are given for those who are paying attention that the time is drawing closer. The wicked generation of Noah's day was one that was so evil, the Bible says, that it grieved God's heart that he had even made man. That's how wicked and perverse that, wor- that world was at that time. It says that the world was filled with violence and their thoughts were towards evil continuously. And so for 120 years, they were warned by Noah that God's judgment was coming. And as he kept building that ark over the span of 120 years, they laughed at him and they carried on just like before, not believing what would happen right up until the very moment the raindrops started to fall. Noah's generation heard the warning, but they didn't believe, and so they sealed their own fate. And Jesus says that the exact same thing will occur to the generation that is alive on planet Earth on the day of his return. Now I want to ask you a question. Does it take a stretch of the imagination to believe that Jesus could have been speaking about our generation? Is that a real leap in your mind to say that our generation is so distracted with the things of the world that we would be caught by surprise if the Lord were to to return today? I believe that very easily Jesus could have been speaking about the generation that is alive on planet Earth today. You see, we have no shortage of preachers in our world today. We have no shortage of warnings that Jesus will return and bring judgment with him. But do we believe it? 
Do we believe it? Our world certainly doesn't. Our world is carrying on just like before, just like the generation in the days of Noah. We're eating and drinking. We're given in marriage. We're we're carrying on life as usual. Are we prepared? Our world isn't. But the far more personal question for us today is this. If the world isn't prepared, is his church? Is his church prepared and ready in anticipation of his return? Or are we just like the world, carrying on business as usual? Are Christians today ready and watching for Jesus' return? Or are we like that girl waiting for her date who says, He's late! Like Israel, who said of his first coming, he's taking too long. He's probably not coming at all. Now, I want you to turn with me as we attempt to answer that question to Matthew chapter 25. If you were there, I hope you kept your finger in that page. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to the next chapter. And there we're going to read the verse 13 verses of Matthew chapter 25. It's the same context of the previous passage we just read. Jesus is still speaking about his return, and he tells this parable to illustrate what his return will be like. Beginning in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy some for yourselves. And while they were too busy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming." Now, you've probably heard this parable before, but I want you to notice a few things. Notice in this story that it is the groom, the bridegroom, who is the center of attention. You see, in the male-dominated society of Jesus' day and culture, the way of life was that it was the big deal of the wedding day was it was the young man coming of age taking a bride. Whereas in our society today, when the wedding day rolls around... Everyone is looking at who? The bride, right? Everyone wants to see her in her beautiful dress. Everyone talks about the plans of that day. You know, who cares what the groom thinks? As long as the bride's happy, the day will be great, right? The groom is relegated just to the the sweaty, nervous guy standing next to the preacher on the stage. And he just stands there waiting and waiting until the bride finally decides to show up. And then everyone stands for her, right? would all rise as the bride comes in. All eyes were on her. But it was the exact opposite in Jesus' day. The, the groom was the focus of the attention. And so this is the setting that we have to wrap our, our minds around as Jesus is telling this parable. You see, it was traditional for the bridesmaids of that time to wait at home together with their other attendants to wait for the bridegroom to come and bring them to the wedding feast. 
Another part of the tradition was for the bridegroom to negotiate with the bride's family about a gift to give them in return for their daughter. Often the negotiations could be delayed by the bride's parents as a way of communicating that they thought their daughter was worth more than what he had given. So they'd say, ah, she's not quite ready yet. And that was, take the hint, give us something a little more here. And so that was very common for that to happen. In fact, there was two parts to the ceremony. Weddings would actually be multiple day events. What would happen is there'd be a ceremony that would take place first, very simple, And then in that period of waiting in between is where these negotiations would take place and the wedding feast would follow, sometimes stretching out for many days. So it is in this in-between period between the ceremony and the wedding feast that Jesus is referring to the bridesmaids or the virgins in in my translation waiting for the groom to arrive. And so here we see them waiting in just such a delay. Five of them are ready, five of them are not. Now, the ones who were not ready, we noticed that they had time to go and get the extra oil that they needed. But for whatever reason, they just didn't feel a sense of urgency to go and do it right away. Their their procrastination caused embarrassment. And so when the groom comes, they had to run to the store quickly for more, more oil. The only problem was that when they returned and sought entrance to the feast, they were considered no different than other uninvited guests. The feast had begun and the doors were now locked. It was too late. And Jesus says his return will be just like that. But I want you to notice that in this parable, he is not talking about the world, but the kingdom of heaven. The very first verse, he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now there's some debate as to what exactly Jesus meant by this. But I believe that the straightforward meaning of Jesus' words are correct. That is, there will be those inside the kingdom, those who profess faith, who, like the five foolish bridesmaids, will be unprepared for the Lord's return. Now, what are the implications of this unpreparedness? Well, they are very, very serious and potentially fatal. Read verses 11 and 12 again. Later the others came also, saying, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. You may well notice here the echoes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, where Jesus told his disciples that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that even when they list off all the great things they've done in his name, his reply to them will be, I never knew you. Now there's always a fine line to walk in these teachings between salvation by grace, a free gift, and that legalistic form that thinks they can earn it. There's a fine balance here. But what Jesus is referring to here is not a works-based salvation. That is not what he is speaking about. He is saying that the evidence of whether or not we have received the invitation of grace is whether or not we are obeying him, whether or not we are living prepared lives. That is the evidence of whether or not we have received his grace to begin with. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. 
The five foolish bridesmaids' actions revealed the true conditions of their hearts. They were unprepared to meet the bridegroom. But on the other hand, the five wise bridesmaids' actions revealed the conditions of their hearts. They were prepared to meet the bridegroom, and so they were welcomed into his wedding feast. 1 John 2, verses 5 to 6 keeps going. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. A believing heart is a prepared heart. And the evidence of a prepared heart is a prepared life. A prepared life is one that is lived in daily obedience to God and his word. And the reward of a prepared life is one that has no fear if Jesus should suddenly appear. Because it is daily lived in the eager expectation that today could be the day that I see my Savior. It holds no fear because we are walking in obedience. We know we are ready should that day be today. And so we can say with complete confidence, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That is God the Father's desire for every last one of his children. That they do not have to fear that day. Even though they may not know the day or the hour, none of us do, only the Father, we can live each day as though it were the day of his arrival because we are constantly prepared. Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44, Jesus said, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know or what day or hour the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect. There's a story told of years ago when 20th Century Fox advertising was uh, looking for a new position to be filled, and so they put out a listing in the New York papers to fill a vacancy in their sales force. And one applicant replied with these exact words in his application. I am at present selling furniture at the address listed below. You may judge my ability as a salesman if you will stop in to see me at any time pretending that you are interested in buying furniture. When you come in, you can identify me by my red hair, and I will have no possible way of identifying you. Such salesmanship as I exhibit during your visit, therefore, will be no more than my usual workday approach and not a special effort to impress a prospective employer. And would it surprise you to know that from amongst 1,500 applicants for the job, that man was awarded the position? Because he lived, he lived in preparation. He, he lived every moment as though it could be his addition. He wasn't waiting for the moment that they walked through the doors to impress them. He treated each customer as though it were someone who would be hiring him for a job. That is the kind of daily living Jesus wants for us, to live in constant state of preparation. So let me ask you again the question. Are you ready? Are you like the five wise bridesmaids, or are you like the five foolish bridesmaids? Are you ready, are you prepared, or are you procrastinating? These are important questions for each one of us to consider today. And if you say, yes, I am ready, I want to ask you, are you, are you sure? 
Are you certain that you are ready for that day? If God were to reveal to you right this moment that Jesus was returning exactly one year from today, what would that change in your life? Would you change how you're living if you knew 365 days from right now Jesus was coming back? What would you do differently? What if it was revealed to you that he was coming a month from today? What would you change? What would you do? What if he was coming a week from today? What if he was coming tomorrow? What would you change today? Would you be on your knees? Would you be seeking out someone today if you knew the Lord's return was imminent? This reveals the true condition of our hearts. If there are things that we would say that we would change if we knew for certain what day and hour Jesus was coming, then let me just tell you, do it now because it could be today. Preparation doesn't happen when the trumpet sounds. Preparation has to happen in advance. The five foolish bridesmaids learned that lesson the hard way. They scrambled, they procrastinated, but it was too late. They weren't ready. So let me ask you, are you ready? Don't be one of those who by procrastination or thinking that he's taking his time, it's not going to happen in my lifetime, don't be one of those caught off guard when the trumpet sounds and the Lord returns. Don't be one of those who knew the truth of the gospel but failed to live it. Don't be one of those who looks back on your life with regret of all the words you've left unsaid, all of the deeds you've left undone that God wanted you to do and didn't do it. As has been said many times before in many different ways, God has only given you one life to live. Don't waste it. What life are you waiting for to live it fully for God? This is the life you've been given. It is a gift. Don't waste it. Give it fully to God today. Don't waste another minute. Don't waste another day or another week or another year. Be ready today and live your life fully for God. And that is the life that can say with full confidence, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because I am ready. I am ready even today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as those who do not know the future. But you have revealed to us through your Son and through his word that that day will come. Of that we are certain. And he has already given us words of warning and caution to not be like the generation in the days of Noah, who just carried on life as usual, believing that it's taken a long time. We've never seen this before. It's not going to happen. Oh, Lord, help us to be like the wise who live in constant preparedness of that day, leaving nothing to chance, knowing that if that day should be today, that we are doing exactly what you want us to do, that we are loving you with everything we've got and we're loving others as we love ourselves. We're serving you and we're doing the things you've asked us to do in obedience as we walk with you day by day. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who just feels that conviction right now in their heart knowing, Lord, that they're not ready, that they haven't yet even taken the first step to just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. That's the first step. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs to make that decision, 
right now. Oh, Lord, by your spirit, would you pour out the awareness of your presence that you're right there as close as a whisper. Oh, Lord, speak to their hearts right now, I pray. And Lord, for those of us who are in a place of having done that many years ago and we're carrying on life as usual, thinking that we're going to live an indefinite amount of time, thinking that it's years away till we'll see you face to face, oh Lord, we repent of that attitude right now. And we say, Lord, help us to live daily and anticipating you could return at any moment or call us home. And so, Father, help us to live each day in the awareness of how near you truly are to that moment we shall see you face to face. And we shall know you and be fully known by you. So bless each one now as we continue, Father, and even as we go into communion now, we pray, God, that you would pour your spirit into us, fill us anew, and help us to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. This time we will transition into our preparation for sharing communion around the Lord's table together. Would those who have consented to help serve please come forward at this time, and we will proceed.